my name is Tim Fielder, and this is who I am. I guess there's Tim Fielder, a Glyph Award-winning illustrator, concept designer, cartoonist, animator, and Afrofuturist, and creator at Diesel Funk Studios. Hey, Tim. Thank you for uh, joining me. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So um, tell us a little bit about what you do when you say that you're an Afro- Afrofuturist. What, what is that? Uh, I am a person who uh, the long uh, explanation is... I take uh, uh, science fiction stories uh, and uh, fantasy stories within a graphic novel format, mm-hmm. and I embed within those stories uh, characters and situations that are told through a, an Afrofuturistic lens uh, or perspective. Uh-huh. Uh, the short version is I put black people in spaceships. <laughs> Um, and you were born in uh, Tupelo, Mississippi. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Tupelo. Tupelo. Home of Elvis and raised in Clarksdale, Mississippi, uh, home of Robert Johnson. Uh-huh. And is there a, I mean, there's obviously a musical um, uh, history to that part of the world, but is there a science fiction or a, um, a comic book history that, that's rich in that region as well? or? Was that something that you discovered? Uh, more uh, musical history. Uh-huh. Uh, I have zero musical talent. <laughs> I do have a sibling with musical tablet, ta- talent, but I have zero musical talent. And uh, there is no comic history to speak of other than the comic history with, with myself. <laughs> you know, I'm coming out of Clarksville. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And did you grow up reading comics or was there, was there a moment? Yeah, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, I've said it before in many interviews. Uh, I am was forced to read comics by my older siblings, and uh-huh. I'm the person who kept doing the comics. But the more obscure uh, element of that is not just reading regular Marvel and DC comics. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this comic book distributor named Bud Plant. Uh-uh, I'm and, not. Yeah, I think Bud Plant is out of San Francisco. I could be wrong. But Bud Plant sold these really amazing underground comics like Spain Rodriguez, Trash Man, George Metzger's Moondog, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff by Gene Day. Um, all of these really amazing uh, uh, fantasy anthologies from the seven, 70s uh, with uh, people like Paul Rivashay who uh, did an adaptation of uh, Arthur C. Clarke's uh, Exile of the Eons. And now he, he, he went on, actually, to be, be this really amazing background designer for all of the Bruce Timm Batman animated series. So um, that's what I grew up on. Right. Uh, these weird things, you know, uh, the First Kingdom, that type of thing uh-huh. um, by uh, Jack Cat. So I, I grew up with these strange books and they influence the work that i do now right how many siblings did you have i have three siblings i have uh three older brothers i have one of those brothers is a twin uh-huh and i am the baby i'm the biggest <laughs> one with the baby 
Right. And was there, um, with, with your brothers, was there like a, a split with um, uh, some of them were reading the more mainstream comics and then one of them got into these more underground comics or was that something that you found yourself? Well, no, no, no. The, the, being the youngest, you, you read what you were told to read. <laughs> or, what you were, you know, or more exactly, you read what you were forbidden to read. So yeah. how I learned about sex and all that type of stuff was through the the drawer that my brother had his heavy metal comics in, heavy metal magazine with mm-hmm. Mobius, the Island. So the plan was to take the books and to take them out and read through them, but you had to put them back exactly as they were taken out. Right. You did not want there to be any evidence that you had gone through the book. So you had to be very delicate with them. Uh, uh, my brother is actually in the background laughing here because, uh, <laughs> of course, there was no way they could have known that we went through them. But that's that was the technique. Uh-huh. And it was very effective. They were very effective. Yeah. Um, was there a moment when you were looking at them where you thought to yourself, oh, this is what I want to do? Or is that just something that developed over time? Uh, it was a combination. It was more crash because my thing was I was a Star Wars baby. Mm-hmm. When I say Star Wars, you know, some people are like, well, what are you talking about? Talking about the Phantom Menace? No, I I was actually 11, 10 or 11 years old when the first Star Wars to ever be shown in the theaters was mm-hmm. out. And I was so, it took me about a few months, but I was so heavily affected by that movie, the way it looked. And I remember in 1978, 79, buying uh, the art book called The Art of Star Wars, and it went into very deep detail on the designs of how that movie was put together. So people like Ralph McQuarrie, mm-hmm. Joe Johnston, uh, John Mola, all these costume designers. I looked at that stuff. And uh, Ralph McQuarrie, who basically designed the look of Star Wars, had such a heavy effect on me. But that correlated with the work of Jean Giraud, who's known as Mobius, Mm-hmm. Who worked in you know one of the founders of Metal Harlot, which became Heavy Metal magazine. So I knew I wanted to do comics, but I wanted to do comics uh, uh, like that in in my own way. And you know, initially you you get the style down; it takes a little while to do that. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, I guess around the time I was in high school, early high school. Uh, had a, an exchange with my brother who really challenged me on putting black characters uh, in my stories because yeah. you know, that's where I was. And that stuff became, you know, you know, normally if you're if you're your older sibling goes off and you're like, yo, man, why aren't there any black people? in this? You know, a lot of people would just uh, completely um, turn off. But I actually went in the opposite direction, opposite direction and everything became black. Mm hmm. Every every character was black. Yeah. So I went I went black 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 crazy. I was blacky black, <laughs> and that's what happened. Um, where did you did you feel that that there was good representation back then, or do, have you felt that that's something that's really hell no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. There was you know you had Luke Cage and mm-hmm. you know, he couldn't be a hero. He had to be a hero for hire. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, you know, you had Black Panther, which was pretty cool. But you know, uh, despite the work that Don McGregor and and Billy Graham and and Rich Buckler did, you know, there was only so much they could do. The character was treated uh, like a second tier character, not like the you know 
$1.3 billion character he is today. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, there was not a ton of representation. Uh, and in science fiction work, there was very little, if any, representation at all. Yeah. You know, and if there were characters, with the exception of Nichelle Nichols in Star Trek, you know, every other character either died, like your fat Kodo in Alien or, uh -huh. or Ernie uh, Hudson in Leviathan. Or they were just the only black person in the galaxy, like Lando Calrissian. Yeah, <laughs> um, strangest. And it's 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 you know with uh, with a lot of um, uh, characters, black characters in in science fiction and in comics as well. It, be it became such a like the the it was almost like they had to create their own environments for them to exist in. They couldn't exist in you know they couldn't they couldn't be in the same neighborhood as Spider-Man. They had to be in Harlem or they had to be in Wakanda or all these other places. So there was always this, there was, uh, for lack of a better term, there was like segregation even when there was representation, it felt like. Yeah, that uh, sounds pretty accurate to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, uh, you know, uh, it's just, that's, that was the world then. Mm -hmm. And now things are different. And now, you know, you have you know, numerous black comics and graphic novels out there. That's that's to begin with. But, but even more advanced now, now you have an entire, because comics over the last 20 years have become a legitimate form of study in the academic world. Mm -hmm. And so you have scholars that have come up who have learned uh, and studied in depth uh, things that are about comics and cartooning and you have entire schools that are devoted to the form of comics and cartooning and graphic novels as well as uh, academic presses out there. University of Mississippi of all places mm -hmm. uh, is a place that uh, prints on comic book history so it's quite it's quite incredible now to see the world we're in because mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't like that before. <laughs> Um, and uh, you uh, were a storyboard artist as well, is that correct? Or Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Uh, I was a storyboard artist uh, during the 90s. And, you know, I did a number of different things in the 90s. did comics, did a few storyboards. Uh, I did a little concept design for film. So it was all those type of things I was dabbling in yeah. as a young man. Uh, but then eventually that would, by the time 90. 293 would roll around i would basically become uh, a full-time comic book artist and that's what i did and i worked for marvel for a few years mm -hmm. uh as graphic novelist freelance graphic novelist and uh you know continued to do editorial cartooning freelance editorial cartooning for village voice mm -hmm. uh until about mid 90s when the industry crashed so you know and and then i moved segued from comics uh, my last comic being this really amazingly bad soft porn uh, 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 science fiction mm -hmm. comic called Bitten Zone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I have the honor and distinction of of uh, doing breakdowns for Richard Corbett, who oh, is nice. yes, who was one of the greatest cartoonists, uh, comic book artists ever lived, and I did these breakdowns for him, and he did not follow. Any of my breakdowns, he, did, <laughs> he completely deviated from what I did. And I was so proud that this guy was like, you know, 
people are like, wow, you did breakdowns for Richard Corbin. I'm like, yeah, how'd it go? I'm like, he completely ignored everything I did. <laughs> That's how awesome he is. He's Richard Corbin, you know, who did Richard Corbin of Dan fame. So, uh, you know, it was, it was, and that was my last job in 99. And I went into animation mm-hmm. and video game design for a brief period. Uh, and then on animation for a long period thereafter until about 20, 13, 2014 is when I made the transition back to comics. Okay. And do you think, uh, that because there was that the, the big collapse that um, that happened, especially in like the uh, Marvel and the the direct market kind of fell in on itself in the mid-90s, yeah. do you think that led to this kind of new growth of independent creators now? Or, or do you think that was always there and it was just the... The, the ability to get stuff out has increased and the ability to to get work seen has, has changed so much. Yeah, I think uh, the, the uh, independent creators have always been there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they have always been there. That's, that's something that has existed despite the state of mainstream industry. Uh, but what's happened over the last, from what I can determine, and I say from what I can determine because I'm still somewhat catching up, on the intricacies of what happened while I was out of the game. But it appears that what has happened is that the comic book industry, uh, which put all of their focus on the direct sales market, for those uh, listeners, uh, direct sales market is a network of, of loosely connected brick and mortar comic book shops. And those brick-and-mortar comic book shops have reduced the number over the years because the age and demographic of the typical mainstream comic book reader has grown more white and older mm-hmm. and more male. So what's happened is that the you they lost younger generations to video games and all these on YouTube, ultimately. And so I have children uh, who... You know, they love the idea of comics. They watch the movies. They love the animations. They want to be in video game design. But, you know, one of them wants to do comics, you know, uh, as a kind of a side game. But that's what I'm saying. They lost an entire generation. The industry lost an entire multiple generations of of readers because their focus became too limited and everything became focused on diamond distributors. So there's really only one major distributor for all the entire comic book industry. Mm-hmm. And their focus is primarily on Mar- uh, Marvel and DC comics, those sales. And, you know, this is not to knock, knock diamond. You, you know, it's a good job if you can get it. You know, they do what they have to do and, and they, they they operate it as a business. But, uh, you know, it, that kind of thing sort of is, is close to the more interesting or more alternative readerships. Mm-hmm. So the, the result of that is through technology, which has become more advanced, distribution technologies, which has become more advanced, uh, and reader uh, uh, habits, consumer habits mm-hmm. have changed and altered. Uh, that means that the more, uh, how should I say, the more um, dynamic readership is actually not in mainstream comics. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much outside of comics. You have Instagram uh, cartoonists who do projects on Instagram 
who have half a million followers mm-hmm. and they read their books. They, that's, they, they read their stories when they come out on Instagram. But the, I was just looking at sales today. The top selling comic, I forget what it was. It may have been Marvel or DC. They only sold 150,000 copies. Mm-hmm. So you could do the, you can look at it and see, okay, person on Instagram has 600,000 to a million followers and they're cartoonists. Yeah. Or you could even take someone like Jeff Jacks, who does uh, questionable content, which I read, you know, five days a week. Uh-huh. And it's a wonderfully done uh, humor cartoon with uh, kind of alternative contemporary period of time where, you know, AI coexists with humans and it's a situation comedy mm-hmm. type of thing. And that guy, you know, Jesus, you know, I don't know how many hits he gets per day on his site but you know he's that's all he does he's independently you know he's an independent cartoonist he's very successful yeah you know so that's what's happened it's it's different revenue and distribution and uh and showcase venues have have developed in that time yeah do you feel like, because um, you know, you said that the that the loss of because the market became so so myopic, it, it lost a generation of, of readers and, and therefore probably a, a generation of creators. And do you think that now, where you know we 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 will see in the next generation the the new creators that are born of this new shared um, model that we have, where you have the uh, people that can can put a comic on Instagram and get millions of hits and the creators will not necessarily change what they're doing, but they'll find, you know, that the, the model of creation will change because of that. Um, I would say that, you know, I used to think there were a, um, a generation of multiple generations of, of creators that, were not created, you know, mm-hmm. didn't come about. But I know <laughs> feel that way. Yeah. Um, there's a book I just got called Black Comics Returns uh-huh. uh, that just came out, and it, it's uh, published by Lion Forge uh-huh. uh, out of St. Louis. And that book um, basically just deals with tons of cartoonists of color. Yeah. So many of them you you never even heard of, and and it's so that book is so. I mean, it's the second volume. It's the first volume that came out a few years back, but this new volume is so beautifully done, and they're just every artist in there is just at the top of their game. Yeah. Some you heard of, some you have heard of. I'm featured in there, and um, I just think. You know, I, I was talking with my friend Jason Reeves today. Uh, I went by his studio. He uh, runs a 133 Art, which mm-hmm. is kind of like a publisher, but a, he has his own print facility like I do with my company, Diesel Funk Studios. And Jason was, we were talking about how he had done a comic. He prints uh, Harriet Tubman Demon Slayer, right? Mm-hmm. Which is this insane comic done by David Crownton which depicts Harriet Tubman as a katana, dual katana welding uh, 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 rescuer of escaped slaves, but, you know, along the path of the Underground Railroad who were being chased by demons, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) (laughs) 
And uh, Jason prints that book. It's quite incredible. And the tools he uses are tools that are high-tech, accessible, but his book looks virtually, quality of the printing is virtually indistinguishable from any book that you would see in a quote-unquote mainstream store, mm -hmm. which means that it's the same. There is no difference. Yeah. That's like, it's like a person who used a multi-million dollar recording studio and a person who records on GarageBand, it's all music. Yeah. And as long as the music is, is, is innovative, in some cases not even innovative, but what it is is just, it's all about composition and melody and songwriting. It's too accessible now, and that's the world we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned uh, Lions Forge, which I, I, is a great uh, publisher. Do you do you think that are there other uh, imprints that you've seen that are, are more inclusive now and, and definitely like places? Sure, there's one. The Funk Studios, uh -huh. Diesel Funk Studios, is great. They're very inclusive. <laughs> they hire me. They 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 allow me to do my graphic novels. Uh, uh, all joking aside, that well, not that much of a joke, but. Uh, <laughs> My company is about getting my stuff out, but yeah. uh, naming other companies, there's uh, uh, there's uh, uh, Rosarium, mm -hmm. uh, which is Bill Campbell's outfit, which has about a billion cartoonists that work for him, work with him. Uh, there is uh, 133 Art, Jason Reeves. There is, uh, I'm sorry, let me look here. There's Roosevelt Pitt's outfit. Mm -hmm. uh, which I forget the name of. I think it's called Kids Comics. There's Is Nana the Wear Spider from Wade Comics. It's a number of different comic book companies out there that are of color. Uh, Spike uh, Troutman out of Chicago does her uh, uh, comic, comic uh, her company. Mm -hmm. uh, who else is there? There are a number of cartoonists out there that do their thing. As the Tuskegee Airs guys. They seem to be all over the planet lately, which is incredible. <laughs> uh, Greg Burnham, um, they, that's what they do. And, uh, you know, we're just in a different time, you know, uh, uh, where you can get your stuff out. Getting your stuff out is easier than it's ever been. And, um, you know, it's, it's a fantastic time to be alive. Mm -hmm. um, with Diesel Funk Studios, how did that come about? When did you decide that that was like you... you wanted your own imprint you wanted your own company to to put the stuff out yeah well you know i uh had a briefly when i made the decision to move to uh comics uh back to comics uh i, I had a very briefly a, a book deal and that you know even though that dissolved out over creative differences uh it would it let me know that you know I had to put my stuff out. I couldn't depend on other people because it wasn't a priority for them, mm -hmm. nor should it be because, you know, they're paying with their money for their company and they're going to put out what they want. And it suddenly dawned on me that, hey, you know, if I put in my money, then I could put out what I want. And uh, that is what has happened. It's been an absolutely life-changing experience. I'm so glad I went my own way. Mm -hmm. uh, result of that has had me doing TED talks and flying all over the country and, you know, but, you know, the, the, oh my God, just the fact that I did Maddie's rocket just as a comic 
for the first two years and then moving it to a graphic novel late 2017 mm-hmm. has guaranteed me the uh, I, I was able to um, I've been interviewed so much just over the last two months just around Afrofuturism and the Black Panther because mm-hmm. I've been doing Afrofuturism for decades so yeah, that's that's creating diesel funk was the right move. Every day, I become more and more convinced of it. Yeah. And are you seeing a change in the 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 audience? Are you seeing a change in is is it? Do you do you see like yourself as a kid coming up to you now and being like saying thank you for for having something that I can connect with, or is it? just everybody is now interested in what you're doing and, and the audience has opened up more, do you think? Or... Well, I guess, let me see the best way I can say it. Black people have always read and enjoyed comics and movies. and you, We, as a our community, uh, the African-American community, this is setting aside you know, uh, the, the Hispanic community, which is very similar in certain ways, but we spend money on stuff. Mm-hmm. We, we, we're some of the biggest consumers in the country, if not the world. And uh, when you ask what kind of change I've seen, the change is we just spent $1.3 billion <laughs> on a movie about a black superhero. Yeah. Uh, just done well. Now, the film's not perfect, but it's done well, and that's important. Mm-hmm. And culturally, you know, you can, we can't even calculate what Black Panther means. We can only talk about what's happening right now at this moment, but man, uh, my I have a eight-year-old nephew, and this man, this boy, is growing up in a world where he won't grow up like I did, like yeah. myself and my siblings did. He's grown up where there's been a black president already. There's been a black superhero already. You know, his uncle is a black cartoonist already. His father is a black filmmaker already. So this guy is not going to, and his sister, they're not growing up, or my children, they're not growing up with the same limitations placed upon them because, you know, the world has changed. So I, I think that is pretty much the most effective way to answer the question that, Viewing habits have changed. Uh, uh, consume uh, consumption habits have changed. Manufacturing processes have changed. Distribution processes have changed. And uh, you know that's the world we're in, and it ain't never going back. I don't mm-hmm. care how many bombs you send to people, or whatever, it's never going back. Yeah, I think that's a that's a, a very good point. Is that the, you know, there has been a kind of uh, grotesque pushback and this this suggestion that it's like uh um uh, you know the whole uh uh political correctness or this idea of like uh just appeasing people for a certain amount of time but i think that that's uh born from from fear of change and this idea that you know there is a shift in dynamic and there is a shift in in how people are represented in in media and in storytelling and the the opportunities that are now available and the, and even like you said there's a, a black president there's such a such a huge thing that you you really wouldn't have thought possible 
even 10 years ago, you know, and now here we are. And I think um, the that change is, I've seen it, and to, to bring it back to comics, I've seen it a lot of conventions now where there's, you know, you go to a convention and you often see it's a very um, accepting and inclusive environment a lot of the times where people are there just to enjoy comics and it's in its rawest form there's no you know it's not it's not broken down into these little dynamic groups and you let everybody come in but then when you do see um like a, a um a friend of mine uh, jeremy burley he's a, a black comic artist and i've been at tables with him and you see people going towards him and people are so happy to see representation and you know, he'll get people to come over and say, oh, wow, this book looks great. And they'll have great interaction with them. And it's not, it's, it's, it's definitely something that, that I've noticed, which is that there's like a, finally, there's a, there's a character that I can see. I can see myself in that character or there's a right. representation of, of me that I can see. There. Yeah. You know, it's right. Right. It's, it's just interesting. It's, it's, you know, because, you know, I, I understand your point in terms of there's more, more inclusiveness. And, but, you know, there's always going to be some element of of hierarchy. You know, you have certain classes of people. Oh, this crew runs together, but that crew is separate from this. That's, that's the nature of all industries. Right. It's just that what we're seeing is we're seeing we're just seeing it more. Yeah, we're seeing it more and seeing a larger uh, uh, to use a, a, a photographic term, we're seeing a, a larger and more robust dynamic range of samples. Mm -hmm. of, of That's what, you know, it's like my comic can coexist alongside um, a, a uh, Isnana. It can coexist a, a, a next door to, you know, uh, a black science from image. It can, it can coexist next to those things or not, you know, it doesn't even have to be next. It could exist unto itself. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's, um, that's a very liberating thing to be able to have that level of, um, freedom, if you will. I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what, what do you, what is, uh, what's next for you with, uh, with the work going forward? Where do you, yeah. Next up is my graphic novel called uh, Infinitum, which is my Afrofuturism epic, mm -hmm. uh, which will probably be somewhere between 150 to 200 pages. I'm writing the throes of doing it now, and I expect to be completed with that sometime during the summer. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm very much forward to that because that's that story, that book is probably an amalgam of all of the different uh, black futurist forms, whether it be retrofuturist or whatever. Uh, and moreover, it's a homage to a lot of the great uh, uh, writers, uh, the Samuel Arlenes, Octavia Butler's, you know, and I wanted to do a, um, I wanted to do a um, story uh, that paid a homage to them, but also paid homage to all of the movies that I love and Arthur C. Clarke and, 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 you know, but also to take my own style of the way I like to tell stories and, 
and to make it amazing. So that's coming up. And also, uh, I've announced it already, but uh, Maddie's Rocket 2 is uh, underway. Mm -hmm. So those are two books that we will see printed this year. Uh, but Maddie's Rocket 2 will probably be out in the fall. Uh, if I can get it out earlier, we'll see. But uh, that that is what Diesel Funk Studios has in store. Mm, excellent. Um, for your your process when yeah. you're doing when you're working out, what is your what are the steps that you have from uh, like an inception of a story to to the production side? What, what how do you work? Uh well, stories come differently. Sometimes the story comes first. Sometimes the visuals come first. Sometimes they come at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's oftentimes influenced by, you know, what I'm doing at the time, you know, my living situation at the time. Uh, and right now, it's like, for example, Maddie's Rocket came during a period when there was, I was doing animation. So I storyboarded out Maddie's Rocket, probably enough material for about five, three to five graphic novels. Mm -hmm. Stuff is in sketchbook, literally sitting right here next to me. And uh, those those sketchbooks are the next three to four, three to five graphic novels. Uh, but those came to me in visual form. But I then wrote a, uh, while working on that, I wrote in a, um, on my iPhone, I wrote an entire treatment of the the four to five uh, story, mm -hmm. so that's I use technology a lot uh, to write my stuff out. I'm not analog anymore. I don't draw on paper. Right. Everything is done digitally. But I'm also a hybrid artist. So one of the things I got in the animation industry was I learned how to do 3D animation. Mm -hmm. uh, so I model many of the backgrounds that are used in my stories. And I use a paint over technique that's pretty common in film and video games uh, to get a certain look in my projects. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is my process. The only thing I probably will be doing differently is I may start to, you know, grow up and become a, a better, more adult artist and uh, start to bring assistance on where needed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. All right. Um, do you do you think there's been a change because um, there are these these uh, programs and and tools that you can use now for for comic book creation and and like world building stuff for backgrounds and things like that? Do you think there's been a change in the style of uh, of comic book artwork over the years, or is that is that just a natural progression? Sure. Uh, back when I had really was starting to become a professional uh, comic book artist back in the late '80s early 90s, you know, there was no internet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you didn't know who else was out there, you know, and when I painted, you know, it was like, it was me and a few other guys, there were not a ton of us, you know, but now due to the internet, deviant art, Photoshop, painter, you know, uh, Clip Studio Paint, or what used to be known as Manga Studio Pro, mm -hmm. you know, there's, you know, it was like an actor in L.A. You drive your car, you throw a quarter outside, ding, you get an actor upside the head. <laughs> now you can find uh, cartoonists or graphic novels anywhere. There are tons of us. You know, and not just, you know, there any race, gender, you know, tons of female 
uh, uh, cartoonists out there, you know, kick it butt. Hell, the most successful, I would say, the most successful cartoonist going today is uh, Raina Telgemeier. She's like, you know, this lady sells in the millions of graphic yeah. novels. So, yeah. There you go. Yep. I mean, that's something that you, you now, you go into anywhere. You go into Target or uh, Barnes and Noble or any like major chain, and their her books are right there as soon as you go in. There so, you go. Yeah. I want to do this too, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, where can people find your work, Tim? Right now, go to dieselfunk.com, mm -hmm. or if you're lazy, go to dieselfunkstore.com, <laughs> and you can order uh, Maddie's Rocket uh, in digital or print formats. Excellent. Well, Tim, thank you so much for, for talking with me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am. <laughs>